Rankin Beatles, that is a podcast. <laughs> Rankin Beatles, that is a podcast. Cause we're ranking the Beatles songs. Yes, we're ranking the Beatles songs. Yup, yup. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, a little Tupac Shakur and Dr. Dre for you today. Keep uh, it ranking. <laughs> Thank you. And let me see your rank. Oh. Rank it, rank it, rank it, rank it, rank it, baby. Oh Welcome my. to a already off the rails uh, <laughs> episode number 50. Woo! My best Oprah voice. Episode 50 of Ranking the Beatles, everybody. We've done it. We've done 50 episodes. Holy cow. a lot of episodes. Didn't think we'd make it here, but look at us now. I'm going to need some hot tea for my throat from talking so much. (laughs) Is there a kind of tea you'd prefer? Um, What is that one that I've been drinking? It's like a blackberry. Blackberry sage, I think? Yeah. That's your tea of choice. Shout out to uh, our friend uh, Tietlemania, Hugh, at Tietlemania on the Twitters. Um, just made me think of that because you started talking about tea. Yes. So. <laughs> I'm not a huge tea drinker. You're not. But that's not, okay. But that's okay. every night, like when it's really cold outside mm-hmm. and like you make tea almost every day. Eh, it's been a while. Now it's hot. So. Right. When it's cold out. When it's hot here, it's really hot and I don't want anything hot. Right. Um, but when it's cold, you were having it like every day and like oh, once or twice a week I'd join you oh, for nice, a, little, yeah. a little tea with honey. Yeah. A little afternoon treat. A little how you do. <laughs> <laughs> a little afternoon pick me up. Yeah. <laughs> All right, that's enough of this. <laughs> Americans don't know our team, man. Sorry. Um, so I hope everybody else is having is a... Is someone uh, going to burn our house down if I say I prefer iced tea to hot tea? Some listeners may. Yeah. Um, our our um, our like British listenership has dropped oh, significantly. Come on. Yeah, that's sorry. That's like a quarter of our, of our crowd. Sorry. Don't ostracize our sorry. listeners. I live in the South. We drink iced tea. We do. We drink iced tea. On a hot summer's day. <laughs> the delicious mint julep. Oh, those are disgusting. Yeah. I don't drink that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I hope uh, everybody's having a good week. Uh, we're super excited for this 50th episode. I mean, they say once you get to 50 episodes, uh, you're, you're doing finished, it right. <laughs> and you can pack it up and you're done. Yeah. And this is it. Yeah. So we're just going to abandon the show after this week's episode. Um, that's not true, though. Um but yeah, thank you all for hanging out with us for 50 weeks. That's bonkers. Like, we really, really appreciate it. It's almost a full year. Yeah. that's We're coming up on a year of this podcast. Yeah. So um, we should throw ourselves a birthday party. <gasps> we should. I don't know how we'll do it, but we'll figure it out. Well, it'll probably just be you, me, and the dogs. Cause yeah. We're still in a pandemic. <laughs> True. It's fine. True. Um, but yeah, let's uh, let's talk about our guest this week, shall we? Okay. Um, so our guest this week uh, has sold an excess of 25 million, that's million, albums. With an M. With a, with a mill. With a mill. <laughs> uh, with his band Hooting the Blowfish, whose classic debut album, Cracked Rearview, sold over 16 million copies in the U.S. alone and is one of the best-selling albums in all of music business history. Uh, he's taught music business courses at the College of Charleston in his hometown of Charleston, South Carolina. 
uh, created and produced the Southern Emmy award-winning TV show Live from Charleston Music Hall, all while releasing his own solo albums. Um, now, I actually got to know him uh, a few years back um, when I was still touring with the band Cowboy Mouth. They came up in kind of the Southern college rock scene of the early 90s at the same time as Hootie and the Blowfish. And they used to actually swap gigs uh, back before Hootie got signed. Uh, when they would come down here to New Orleans, they'd open up for Cowboy Mouth and then back up in South Carolina. Cowboy Mouth would open for Hootie and they would you know, trade gigs up and down the, uh, the Southeast coast. So they always stayed super tight. And then when Hootie got a record deal, uh, they pushed their uh, label over to Cowboy Mouth and helped get them their major labor deal and uh, and took them out on the road on like big arena tours, like right when they were first like having like their biggest moment, which like it's cool. And it's rare to see a band that actually like sends the elevator back down. Yes. Which is a phrase I know you like to see uh, yes. to say, um, but they definitely did that. So like that's super cool. And had they done that, that, you know, Cowboy Mouth probably would not have succeeded and I would not have later joined that band and had employment for three years and seen the world from a tour bus and a stage. So yeah. uh, very cool. And so uh, the band's always stayed super tight. And then um, from time to time, if we needed a fill-in guitarist, uh, whether it was for, for me or for our other guitar player, uh, today's guest would always uh, answer the call and step in and, and be that guy. Wasn't there one time um, where y'all had a show booked right after Christmas mm-hmm. and you were the only one it was in uh Isle of Palms, South, South Carolina. Carolina. Yep. And you were the only I was with you. Mm-hmm. I came with you. And we were the only one I mean, not that it mattered that I was there, but <laughs> we were the only ones that made it to South Carolina. Everyone else's flights were canceled we're because of in. snow. Yeah, the blizzard that um and so you and our guest tonight played a whole show, just the two of you yeah, for we funsies. Just, <laughs> we, the, the club we were at, Mark our get Mark was coming over to to sit in on some songs and the club we were playing at asked, like, can you guys just do some stuff acoustic for like an hour? So we just kind of, you know. Did it. Did it. It so, was fun. Yeah. People still had a good time. A ton of fun, man. He's a really, really good dude. Um, and coming off the heels of Hootie's 2019 album and tour, uh, Mark's new solo album, Midlife Priceless, is out now everywhere you get music and at markbryan.com, B-R-Y-A-N. Uh, and it's a fantastic pop rock album by a songwriter who's written some of the biggest singles of all time. So. I say let's get into it, shall we? Let's do it. Number 50. Friends, welcome to the show, please. Mark Bryan. I gotta get out of town. Mark, welcome to the show, my friend. How are you, man? Good to see you. Jonathan, I'm great. Thank you so much for having me here. Um, this is, uh, I haven't seen you in several years, and yeah. what a great for- format and forum to, to see your face again. Yeah, man. Thanks I, for having me. I think the last time we saw you was your 50th birthday jazz fest down here a couple years ago. With oh, yeah. That yeah, show, that's Chicky Wawa. That probably was the last time I saw yeah. you, yeah. Yeah. That was yeah. fun, man. Fun. It was fun. That was a blast. Unforgettable. Yeah, yeah for sure. Well, uh, good to see you. You're looking good, man. How has the last year treated you? It's been kind of a, a wild year for everybody. Thank you, thank you. Fresh out of the shower. Um, yeah, it was. Uh, it, it was just the it, even in my parents' lifetime, we've never seen anything like what we saw last year. And, uh, um, 
you know, it feels really good to be out of it. I, I was hearing on the radio today about how the, you, you can now take, if you've had your vaccination, you can now take your max, masks off inside. And so I walked into the golf course today and had no mask on in there for the first time in over a year. And if I, I, I felt, it felt wrong. Like I was like, wait, I, I forgot. <laughs> no, I didn't forget. I don't have to. Like it's that feeling, you know? And so, I, I mean, it's just, we're finally coming out of it. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Did, uh, did you have anything planned for the year that obviously, I mean, a lot of people's plans got scuttled, but I know y'all did a hootie tour in 2019. So what was, what was on the agenda for the year before this all went down? We, we couldn't have gotten more lucky with the timing when we finished the tour and released the album at the end of 2019. And then there was no plans to do anything mm-hmm. after that with hootie. And so I had already planned to go in and make uh, my solo, my fourth solo album. Uh, not knowing what was coming. I just was like, ah, we just toured. I'm not going to go back and tour again. I'm going to go make an album. Mm-hmm. And, and then right when we were doing the basic tracking for the album, every, the, the shutdown kind of went into effect. Um, and then I was able, able to just finish it all off on my own after that. But uh, yeah, yeah. so I uh, got really lucky with the timing. For sure. Yeah. How did, um, how did the record change in light of, you know, the world changing around us, you know? It, I would have had different guests singing backgrounds and maybe playing some of the instrumentation mm-hmm. that I went ahead and played and sang. And it was a chance for me and my engineer, Mikey, to get down dirty in, in the studio and, and really like ex- ex- experiment with sounds and parts. Um, I'm singing falsetto on the record. I'm singing, uh, I'm, I'm rapping. I, you know, I just got just really creative with it and mm-hmm. I'm playing all kinds of different instruments and just trying to find the right parts for the right songs. And we spent yeah. a lot of time. So it allowed us to do that. Whereas I think otherwise I would have brought in guests and done it that way. Yeah. So I think that's what changed it, but really happy with the outcome. It's fun. It's a really fun album. Like that's like the kind of the vibe I got from the whole thing is like, it's upbeat. It feels. And like, I only say this in light of you having like a 30 year career, but it feels youthful in a way. Like, it feels like yeah. young and fresh and like creative, like yeah. you're having fun with it, you know? Thank you. Well, it felt like that to me too. So I'm glad that came across. Like it was, you know, I knew which songs I was going to do and had a blast, like putting them together. Like the ideas came naturally, which was, you know, that's when you know you're onto something like mm-hmm. when, when all the ideas start popping in naturally and stuff like that. So, um, you know, I'm glad that came across when you listened to it. Nice. And I saw on, on Facebook, you just built a studio. Built your own like legit studio. I did. You've been to my house and mm-hmm. you've seen the where I had my studio for 15, 18 years. And I always had the dream of getting it outside of the house and into a separate structure. And so I finally made that happen over this past year. Nice. Could not be more excited. We're going to move in here in the next month or so. So, oh man. And it's nice yeah. to have that like separation from like work and, you know, home life, you know, to kind of just like, leave everything in the other building as opposed to just like walking it is. I into was on, another room. Yeah. I was on top of myself and I made it work, but like, you know, when people, we'd have guests in town and I'd have, they'd have to do the pullout couch around the control room boards. And, you know, <laughs> the, it's just, it's just, just, it's better to not be right on top of yourself. And now I'm going to have a man cave. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I've never, I've never had a man cave, but, I'm going to take what used to be the the big studio room and make that into the man cave. Nice. So yeah, it's all working out. 
fun, man. It's the kind of stuff you do when you once you turn fifty, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nice, man. I'm I'm excited for you. That's that's fantastic. Thanks, Jonathan. Hey, you have to come and, and do some recording. Yeah. I would love to, man. I, I, it's been too long since uh, we've you know worked together and played together, so I would love to do that. Well, you know, uh, I just did uh, Paul and Mike Mayu's Paul Sanchez and Mike Mayu's podcast, mm-hmm. and you know they, they were planning a trip, so maybe hop in with those guys and come down i will totally do that that would be an absolute the, the idea oh, was fun. that um you know mike mike one of course wanted to see all the gear and see oh, the sure. room. <laughs> and so i was like well me and paul will you know and now jonathan will we'll just write some songs on the spot and play for you guys and like we'll work like just ring out the room you know i would with mike that would be a blast may you being there because i think mike mikey my guy would love if mikey may was there too yeah mikey and mike no fun nice <laughs> oh you nice, guys would right? have so much fun just like a little yeah. chill like recording session that would be really yeah. nice that would be really yeah fun. it'd be a good way to reconnect for sure for sure man and paul loves being in the studio with you anyway yeah. we always have fun yeah. that's right well we'll uh we'll touch base on that uh post show um <laughs> i like it but i want to go ahead and, and dial back the clock a little bit um so let's i want to know where did the beatles first enter the picture for you oh great question let's see uh the first memory is the 62 to 66 greatest hits red framed album mm-hmm. with the, the double album where they're standing on the balcony young yeah uh, and then later a few years later my dad bought the uh, and i must have been like six to eight when I, when I was listening to the red one the red framed one all the time like <laughs> just all the time and i thought i just thought that's all there was mm-hmm. you know i didn't know and then he bought the blue one and then i didn't relate to it i was too young at first and then um i remember this guy who's still one of my best friends you might have met him at some point steve lipton we call him the lip he and i <laughs> ended up you know writing songs together once we were around 15 16 but when we were when we first met we were kind of around 10 to 12 area and we started listening to that red album again i brought it back out you know and he knew all those songs and so we would sing along so and then together we started getting into the blue frame and i started realizing oh there's that's this is the whole what they went into later i got a little older and then once we started writing songs ourselves i discovered you know the actual albums Mm -hmm. themselves just the greatest hits records but I, yeah from about six to 12 it was those two red and blue greatest yeah. hits records. that's such yeah. a that's such a common entry point i think um you know for guests for 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 people that we've had on the show that are in your age demographic because i think you're maybe you well you're 10 years or 12 years older than i am so yeah that, 54 yep okay so you're well i'm 39 so you're 15 years older so but close yeah. Uh, but that's like a really common entry point, I think, are those two compilations. Like the for sure, the, the mean, weight it, of those records are are so important to like the ongoing I, of of everything, without a doubt. And I think it's important to note that my dad was not a uh, a Beatle maniac. Mm-hmm. He was he was pre Beatlemania fifties um, doo wop, and he only bought the the greatest hits record because everybody did and that's what you did you just had to have it it was like you know and he didn't dislike it i guess he liked it enough to buy it yeah. but that wasn't his thing that definitely was not his thing his thing was straight up doo-wop 50s drifters coasters you know and so he had an appreciation for the beatles but but not 
uh, he just had the greatest hits record just because he had it. So I really discovered the magic of it on my own. It wasn't my dad going, Hey, check this out, check this out so much. Yeah. It's just, it was just part of his collection. So I would be listening to that and also listening to all those other oldies that he had too. I was, I was going to ask if that was kind of part of, you know, what you would look at as like your kind of musical DNA, because like between your solo work and also the work with Hootie, everything's very like harmony focused. Like the harmonies are really big in what you do. You know, Without do you think that comes from more of the Beatles side or maybe more of that, that doo-wop side? For both. Um, the, the, I was fascinated with CSN from a very young age and, and the whole idea of three parts. I didn't understand it until I heard that, you know, because mm-hmm. you can really hear the separation in the voices and that kind of thing. Like, um, and the magic that happens with harmony and, and not just with voices, but with guitar. Like I remember when I first was hearing um, uh, um, Thin Lizzy on the radio and they would always do harmony guitars and it was mm-hmm. a sound and it, it was like, a, there's a sound to it. And so that, always perked my ears as well and so as I, as I became a, a writer and recording artist I think that was sort of a natural thing that would leak in oh this calls this this part right here calls for a harmony or calls for you know that kind of thing mm-hmm. um, and so yeah I, I but the Beatles for sure were an influence on that but even more so from a songwriting standpoint and the way they would put like it's one thing for me to if I just write a melody a song or whatever and you just start singing the harmony over it but those two like they started from the idea of how are we going to work these two parts together you know what I mean like mm-hmm. that that's the stuff that blew me away they were already thinking harmony in the in the composing yeah a lot of time yeah you know that so it's a different level with with the Beatles for I sure. think I and I think I recognized that early on too and um same with beach boys and again csn mm-hmm. that's where i like heard a different level of of what you can do with vocal harmony you know that's where that would all, those would be my main influence yeah. thing. were those were those groups and kind of that idea always touch points you know like when y'all started the band was that always kind of like the idea of like we've got this obvious voice that's like the lead singer but like if we if we surround it with all these harmonies as well it just elevates the whole thing darius would kind of lead us on that and tell us where to sing and, and teach he taught us harmonies and he taught us how to sing on key like you know stand up straight and hit the notes and he taught like just like we taught him how to play guitar mm-hmm. so he he sort of coached us and it would be like only where needed right but you know he, he would be like dean you sing this like he he I remember when we started doing i go blind he's like dean you you do the back the other guy you know that kind of, so he always coached everybody and led everybody as to where we're gonna go and it was usually on choruses we would stack them and then when we get in the studio a lot of times don gaiman would be like we need another part for this and i would i would try to throw in like a little background part like maybe rem style like mike mills might do where you don't like a counter melody or you don't always have to do an exact harmony with the melody you know you can kind of work off of it sometimes and try that kind of stuff um but you know and, and i say rem but also the beatles yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> They did, they did a whole bunch of that, too. So. For sure. I was going to ask, uh, you know, in what ways the Beatles have impacted you in your work, but that kind of sums it all up, you know? Yeah, I mean, there's so many. I mean, we could have, we could just do a whole you know, hour show about that. Oh, for sure. Uh, but it's, as a songwriter, I, that was, that's where I think I would focus it, is that hearing the growth that happened from 
62 to 70 from them is the most inspirational thing. I mean, the only thing I would put up against it is like, you know, Tommy and, and that, um, who's next album. Like mm-hmm. that, that's the only thing I could put on the level of what I, of the, the growth I heard from like the early who through to through who's next Beatles, um, maybe some beach boys in there, although it had a sudden halt right, to right. it, you know, but, um, that's about the only thing I can compare to the, growth and songwriting and maturity and subject matter and stuff that you hear from the Beatles. And mm-hmm. that is, that would probably be the most inspiring thing to me is, is what they tackled in that short amount of time. And, and like discovering you, we, we all got to watch and listen to them discover the world, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and so it's just some of the greatest art ever. What about as far as like, you know, cause you, you keep going back to songwriting. So I want to ask, you know, the stuff that you, write for your solo record or for your own records or for anyone else that you write with versus like what you bring to the table for a hootie record. Um, where does that weight kind of fit as, as far as like, you know, do you find that you're able to let your, maybe like your beetle flag fly more on a solo record than on like a hootie project? Well, I mean, we, I haven't had to think much about that because Darius sings any style. Mm -hmm. And so we we kind of learned that early on and it wasn't like we had to bring in a certain thing to fit him. Or like, so I bring everything I write in, in the, in the chance that they, the guys might turn it into something cool. Yeah. Like I, I might not think it's a hootie song when I bring it in, but they, when they hear it, they, they might turn it into something cool. So like, or they just go, that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> so you never know. So I just bring everything in and, and, and I'm glad I do because several times songs that I didn't think would click did. Mm-hmm. And then always songs that I think will click don't yeah. every, that happens every time. For sure. So you just never know. Um, and, and so I, I never think too much about it. Cause I know that Darius can sing a rock song, a soul funk song, a country song. Uh, he could croon a Sinatra thing. You know, he could just do yeah. any style that we float across him. So uh, mm-hmm. never have to think about it, which is cool. And then, when we're done, I just, I always take the best stuff that's left over. Yeah. And the stuff that's speaking to me the most and make, mm-hmm. make my own album. You nice. Know? And so I've been, been doing that since the beginning. Yeah. yeah. Have, uh, have you met a Beatle? Have you met McCartney or, or Ringo at all? I haven't. I met Julian Lennon, but I haven't met, um, oh, no. Uh, yeah. I was going to say Ringo, but I haven't met Ringo. I, I went and saw him been close to meeting Ringo, but yeah. And I met Zach Starkey. So I've met nice. Zach Starkey and Julian <laughs> Lennon. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And they're both just a little older than me, mm-hmm. four or five years, something like yeah. that, you know? Yeah. So it's kind of cool. You know, I was thinking about this earlier today, you know, you guys are one of the, the few bands that I think probably experienced something that's relatively close to the concept of like Beatlemania and what they experienced, like w- when things just go, you know, ape shit for a band like and so i've always been curious like the conversation that you know you would have with like a mccartney or ringo of just like the fuck have you seen man <laughs> you know yeah but like as, as great as i think what happened to us is i i look at their history and they they're they were so much more prolific and so like i can't even compare us so i actually got mad at my band because like we didn't, I didn't think we made enough records because we all, we have way too many freaking songs. Every time we go to make a record, we have 50 songs that we have, we have to trim down to 12, you know? Mm. 
So I just wish we made a record every year. Yeah. And and people stopped doing that. Yeah. You know, be the Beatles made two a year. And people just stopped doing that. And we ended up making one every two years. And then like we took three years or four years one time or like and I, you know, that's why I started making solo records. I didn't really want to make solo records. I don't I'm not a I'm not big into being a solo artist. I just have a, like so many damn songs. Like something with them. Need a home, yeah. Yeah, so I, I think the Beals, uh, you know, uh, the, their work ethic. I always say to people that they went in to the when they when they got out when they were the age of like getting out of college where everybody goes and gets jobs, they took their songwriting seriously and that was their job. And then they would go into the studio from nine to five, and knock out a bunch of tracks or whatever that I mean, and, and they just kind of kept that mentality all the way through the 60s mm-hmm. of like hey this is our job we got to go to the studio today from nine to five or you know yeah. like and then later on it would move into the evenings and just as it does for every band you know it mm-hmm. kind of moves into later nights and like but i mean they still were looking at it as hey this is the studio time is valuable and this is my career and my job and and I think there was a move away from that. And by the time we were making records in the nineties, everybody was only making a record once every two years, that kind yeah. of thing. And, and so that was just disappointing to me because here was a band that, you know, loaded with songwriters and songs. And we just didn't take full advantage of that. Right. I felt like we were, I felt like it was almost lazy, but it wasn't, it was just more like the strategy was not to do too much, you know, like, make an album, put it out and then work it, work it, work it, work it. You know that, I mm-hmm. mean, you were fans that were doing the same thing. So that just kind of became the strategy and there's a lot of lost songs and we could put a Hootie box set out that, you know, probably three albums worth of songs that we never released. So wow. that's the way it is. Maybe a yeah. Hootie yeah. and the Bluefish, Bluefish anthology. <laughs> yeah I, I, it's all sitting at my in my studio i just we just would have to put it together but yeah. i haven't gone back and listened in years but i mean there's so much stuff mm-hmm. you know do you think that, that like done. if a band did sort of go back to that method of like two records a year just like work 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 constantly like would that even be sustainable and work and be successful yes because when they were doing that it was singles driven and yeah. I think we're back. I think we're back to that yeah. now. Mm-hmm. And I, so I, I think I just made an album because I had 12 songs already. But I think that the approach is keep keep making singles. You can always put an album out later. Yeah. But keep but in, in this day and age, keep making singles and attach video to it if you can. You know, like that to me is the approach now. Mm-hmm. No, nobody's there's not a whole lot of marketing and listening to albums going on right now. There just isn't. They're out there. People are still making them. Thank God. And there's a fan base for a lot of artists that care, but, but the general approach to listening to music now across the globe is singles driven and one song at a time and Spotify playlists and blah, blah, blah. So I really think that's the approach. Make the songs, put out some content with it and you can, put them together as a collection at any point. Yeah. Yeah. That's a and, fair point. You know, well, I think also what's interesting is I think it's a much more cynical time now. And I think people, I think also with the kind of the, the quickness of news cycles and the constant bombardment from, from media and press, I think people get like tired of shit faster. So like prime example. And the reason I say it is like Weezer put out a record in January. Then they put out a record last Friday. So that's two records in six months. And people are like, God, Jesus, with the fucking Weezer already. <laughs> uh, right, right. Okay, but so, but uh, to, to maybe help you understand that a little bit, and I, I, I'm just figuring this out myself, 
yeah, I just dropped 12 songs in April mm -hmm. and one month ago and was talking with my manager, Josh, this morning. And, you know, we have we have plans to release video content for to the singles from the album into the summer. But he's like, you know, you got anything that we can drop for the fall? Like new, like he's already asking me for new music. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, I just put the album out one month ago. Right. <laughs> that goes back to what I was saying earlier about singles driven, where it's about constant content and just mm -hmm. layering content, you know, and that's the approach. And he knows, he understands that that's the approach right now. So he's trying to drill that into me a little bit. And he's already asking for new material. And, and thankfully, I have some stuff, you know, some outtakes and some recordings and some stuff I can release that we could put together. And then there's always new songs. You know how that <laughs> sure, is. Yeah. Have you been reading, by the way? How, how's your you know, man, news these days? I really haven't written much. Like at the end of 2019, uh, my band kind of, you know, came to like a natural kind of stopping point. And uh, it was kind of the perfect timing. And I just wasn't in like the headspace to write anything. And that's really how this podcast got started. Like the oh, idea okay, cool. itself was like, I need to occupy my time with something. Yeah, it's a creative outlet. And yeah. first it was just, and it's funny because it was just a year ago yesterday. I posted on Facebook. I'm thinking about ranking the entire Beatles catalog <laughs> and doing an, a, a post a day. And I did that for like two weeks. And then it was like, this should be a podcast. So then right. all my focus went into that. Um, cool. And between that and like playing, you know, playing port shows with um, the guys I do uh, Beatles cover band with, like that's become oh, right. okay. the whole outlet that for everything right now. Um, but I've started to kind of get that itch to like do something, you know, I don't know what it'll be, but I feel like I want to start writing something, recording something. So, right. Yeah. Well, hopefully your um, road trip to Charleston with Paul and Mike maybe yep. will spark. Will, will light that spark. Fingers crossed, man. Well, <laughs> let, well let's uh, let's let's hop into this week's song, shall we? Let's uh, turn the page Please. here. All right, coming in this week at number one sixty-seven is "I'm Looking Through You." So as we talked about previously when discussing the song You Won't See Me, the summer and fall of 1965 was a rough period for Paul McCartney and his girlfriend Jane Asher. She wanted to focus more on her acting and theater career, while Paul wanted her to be more of a homebody. So this led to a number of arguments and eventually leads to Jane leaving Paul uh, to go take a role at the Old Vic Theater in Bristol, several, several hours away from London. Uh, though they eventually reconcile and get back together, Paul put his feelings into a number of songs in this period, I'm Looking Through You being one of them. Uh, so halfway through recording the album that would become Rubber Soul, the band began work on this song on October 24th, 1965. And over the course of two days of sessions, they craft a track that features intricate guitar interplay between acoustic and nylon string guitars, 
a multitude of different percussion, uh, an arrangement alternating between mellow acoustic verses and heavier bluesier choruses. However, after a few days, Paul's unhappy with the result. So on November 7th, another session is devoted to completely re-recording the song in a more fully acoustic arrangement. Uh, now with an added bridge, the Why Tell Me Why Did You Not Treat Me Right uh, bridge section. However, uh, in his book, the, Record- the Beatles Recording Sessions, Mark Lewison describes this version as a bit fast and frantic, and thus this remake is actually shelved and has never been bootlegged or released. So on October 10th, after recording John's song, The Word, the band take two hours to capture a new backing track of a new arrangement of I'm Looking Through You, with John on acoustic, Paul on bass, Ringo on drums, and presumably George on the tambourine. So November 11th was the deadline to finish the whole Rubber Soul album, and the band took a 13-hour overnight session to finish several other songs. And funny enough, you mentioned earlier how sessions start going later and later. They have a November 11th deadline. So November 11th, they start their session at 6 p.m. So... (laughs) um, so in, in the final two hours of this 13-hour session, they complete overdubs for I'm Looking, for, uh, I'm Looking Through You, uh, including lead and harmony vocals, electric guitar overdubs, Ringo coming through as yeah. the MVP on the Hammond organ in the chorus, as well as tapping on a box of matches throughout the track for percussion. So the song, of course, is released on the Rubber Soul album in both the UK and US. Tapping on a box of matches. Yep. I was going to ask what that, it, I thought it was maybe him doing like, you know, on his, it, on yeah, his legs. But it sounds like that too. It's him on a box of matches. So yeah. Cool. Uh, the okay. song, uh, song was never performed live by the band, although Paul added it to his live set in 2010. So why do I have I'm wow. Looking Through You at number 167? Yes. So, so the 65-66 period for Paul is really interesting because it seems like he's writing in kind of a more, autobiogra- a more autobiographical sense in a way that we usually kind of attribute more to Lennon, as especially once they're more influenced by Bob Dylan. Um, and you get this handful of songs from Paul. You got I'm Looking Through You, uh, You Won't See Me, We Can Work It Out, and maybe even For No One off Revolver, where Paul's being really transparent about his like inner life um, and like just his emotions. When you look back at his work, you know, in retrospect, he rarely ever does that. He seems to always hide things in storylines or characters or themes that have maybe like more of a wink and nod to them. Um, so seeing that he leads the band through this track, you know, three different times in three different versions, this is, now this is something we see him do several times throughout the career when it seems like he really believes in a song needing to exist and be out there. He's just going to work it until he's happy with it. So I feel like he's really got a strong attachment on this song. Um, I think his vocal performance is, you know, as usual in 1965, it's right on the money. Just perfect. He it's nails one the of the. It, I, I'm going to break in real yeah, quick yeah. just to talk about the melody of the track. Mm-hmm. The uh, just the main line, you know, the, I'm looking through you. That melody is one of the, that's gold. Yeah, that is gold. You know, he's he's a great melodicist, great a great composer, writer, writer. That 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 particular melody throughout the song is has got to be one of the all time greats. So it's to stay, stay with me my whole life. Yeah. Like I can't ever get it out of my head you know it's just ear candy and so, we had a guest yeah recently. And so there, to, to your point about the vocal being so great and it's doubled and, it, and he also has a first fret capo on it's g sharp mm-hmm. i'm assuming that's how he did it because it's kind of bluegrassy the picking in it yeah and, and so i feel like they did a first fret capo g sharp and so he's singing g sharp with full voice just on this <laughs> and his voice there, is so strong at this point like when oh. he hits like the end of those lines oh my god it's great um, 
you know, the whole. Right, I didn't mean to. Oh, no, no, you're, you're back good. To, back to the voice. Back to the voice. <laughs> good, good, good. Uh, but yeah, I think, you know, it's really his vocal melody is the champion of the song, like you just said. So strong and melodic and catchy. I love the little guitar run at the end of each chorus. That little down, 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 down. Like, it's really cool. Made, made by the uh, George Harrison overdub, which I didn't. I knew it was an overdub, but I didn't know that it took three versions to get to that. But that mm. absolutely sort of makes the song. It yeah. gives it another little hook to, you yep. know stick in your head and yeah, another hit. little piece of your yeah and uh and john's rhythm guitar has a great groove to it which like that's kind of his bread and butter anyway yeah um, yeah you yeah know, and while you know with the band embracing more acoustic styles on this record i think this song kind of comes off as a more acoustic led version of something that maybe paul might have written around the help album like it's got the elements of that last gasp of the beat group style that they were moving away from and I think the album version benefits from its context within the album, like within Rubber Soul and being around the songs it's surrounded by. But if I'm being honest, it kind of feels like a help song that's wearing like Rubber Soul clothes. And I feel like I've used that analogy on another song. I can't think of what it was. Um, there's also some interesting like sloppiness throughout the track, especially on guitar. There's kind of these like road yeah. notes and phrases throughout that are like flat or out of key. Uh, and it seems like, you know, since the keeper version was like a four take real quick remake, it seems like maybe like they just didn't get caught in the final mix process. Cause like they're at the last day to make the record and they're working. Yeah, but it's, it's nothing either that, or they said they'd like the sloppy approach to it. Like right. there's, there's something kind of, it doesn't sound wrong. It just kind of sounds dirty for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. And also like they're working so much at this point, like you can't blame them. Um, right. I, I think right, the right. first version, which they ended up releasing on anthology is maybe a bit more interesting, uh, with kind of like the interplay of like it, yeah. the acoustic and nylon string and the verses. Um, and maybe had that bridge, the, the, why tell me, why did you not treat me right? Yeah. If that had been worked into that arrangement, I think this song may have been higher up on my list personally. I don't know. Um, interesting. but that's it for me. So I, I opened the floor. I throw it to you, Mark. What do you think on this one? Well, um, so that melody, like I said, has always been one of the, just fascinating to me. And then the the chord changes. Um, it's just it, he did he did, it's like uh, it's the bass player slash piano player writing on guitar. Mm -hmm. He can't stay still. <laughs> I mean, it's just constantly moving. To, to different chords and not always the one you're going to think. And then finally it goes four, five, one. Mm -hmm. But I mean, the shit he does to get back to that four, five, one, you, you wouldn't think about it in a million, million years. It starts me wondering, you know, did he, was he matching chords to the vocal melody that he'd already written or was he messing around with the chords and found the vocal melody off of the chords? You right. know, I, I would think it's the, the former that he had the vocal melody and then was finding the chords to match, or maybe he just put it all together at the same time. Cause that's cause he's Sir Paul McCartney. <laughs> but uh, it, it uh, so that interplay, the, the, that incredible vocal melody with those chord changes is just, just one of the more fascinating compositions to me mm -hmm. of, of all the Beatles songs. And, um, so that's that's where it grabs me and puts it. I put it way higher on the list. Like I said, I would probably put it in my uh, top fifty. Yeah, and maybe top thirty. Okay. I, I, wow. I, have, I would have to do a ranking to see because, like you said earlier, it's it's hard once you start. Like you you get get in there and start ranking, and there's a lot of ties mm -hmm. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah. 
So, uh, but uh, there's another thing I wanted to add about why I, I particularly like I'm looking through you. This is completely selfish and personal. Please, no, that's the best. And it has nothing to do with any Beatles judgment. <laughs> but I uh, heard a Steve Earle version um, that he did with not the not the Mountain Bluegrass record that he did with the Del McCory band, but the but right before that, <clears throat> it was the Steve Earle solo record, and I. The name of the record will have to come back to me, but it's it's got it had like Roy Husky playing upright bass, Roy Husky Jr. who passed away, and then it had like some of the guys from Old and In the Way um, playing mandolin and playing along. It was like it's this great cast of characters on the record, and they cover "I'm Looking Through You." I'm looking through you. Where did you go? I thought I knew you. What did I? And they do it in C, way, way lower than the, but it fits Steve Earle's voice perfect, you know, it just, and he he kind of puts that Texas wind up on it, and Mm -hmm. cool, it's the coolest version, so I stole that version, (laughs) that's the one (laughs) I've been covering for years, and so I cover I'm Looking Through You in C, Steve Earle style, and I can't help but twang it up a little bit like Steve. Yeah. Because I mean, that's just like I'm so used to hearing it his way. That's the way my mouth just moves. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny because, like, you know, I think Paul especially is great at writing songs that lend themselves to so many different kinds of arrangements. Whether it's right. you know something that gets poppier or more country, you know, or you can big band things up or do uh, like music hall versions. Like he's so good at writing things that are just flexible and you know permeable that way not permeable yeah. that's not the way i'm looking for no um, no but i know pliable that's pliable. what i'm looking for that's a good yeah. one. pliable yes yeah so his version let's see oh way up there yeah so but now we got the uh and that's they started like uh what something like that or so the steve earl one at the end yep. but to get there oh my god he's just i mean he's all over it's and i love her and it's that <laughs> it's that bass player playing guitar thing you know? yeah it's very cool i never think about it like that because especially him as a bass player he moves so much right so much right he's a walker yeah and so he does it on the uh acoustic stuff that he writes too and it's it's and you, i love that i love hearing it in there it's what makes him it's one of the things that makes him such an interesting composer like I, I feel like Penny Lane is such a good example of of a song that just keeps on moving. Mm-hmm. Like he just is every every note is a new move down, up or down the scale somewhere, right? And so it makes me think like I don't know if anyone else could ever write a song like that. Yeah, you know, he's such a unique composer because of that fact. Um, I think there's a lot of 
great songwriters and great songs out there where you go, oh, well, you know, that, I, that's, a, that's an amazing song, but uh, it, it reminds me of this or it falls into this thing. But there's some McCartney stuff where you're like, mm, no, like, you know, <laughs> Be- Beethoven kind of, you right. know, <laughs> Japan, like, where, where is he going with this? Right. You know? <laughs> and so, uh, I don't know. And, and this is one of them. This is one of those songs where it's just, uh, it's like, uh, you know, he, he was clearly um, uh, inspired by some American folk and bluegrass when he wrote this song. Mm-hmm. But he he composed it in a way that sort of like only a kid who could grow who grew up playing classical piano could or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So he took that American quality of of bluegrass music or whatever he was trying to do when, when he was writing the song, and then he put his spin on it, and now it's something that no no one else would write. And For so sure. that makes it stick out to me too. Yeah. You know? How are you feeling on this one? Do you think it's just sort of like also his lack of training? that like no one told him like you can do this you can't do this these are the rules that he just kind of was like i'm gonna do what i want i'm gonna take i'm gonna just absorb all of this music that exists and just put it in one of those like shaker bottles (laughs) and like see what comes out and without a doubt you can hear it through throughout their career like and jonathan will back this up too like there's you can hear them nodding to different Mm-hmm. artists that inspired them throughout their songwriting career you can always hear little nods here here and there like early on it was to buddy holly and to you know uh there's all kinds of stuff uh, that, like you're saying dylan in this era mm-hmm. that we're talking about now but you can always hear those little nods and so i think he was a kid that grew up playing piano through his parents mm-hmm. and learned music through that and then he started playing with john and other kids around the neighborhood kind of thing and it was like who could learn songs the fastest and they just kind of <laughs> And so I think it's a giant melting pot. So when it came to him writing, he's like, oh, this is what I'm inspired by now. But this is what I know in the back of my head from classical piano. And it's just you throw all this stuff together and it just created a really unique, you know, style. Yeah. Yeah. And often like multiple nods in one song. Like it's not even like this song is going to sound like this. It's like this song is going to sound like this and this and a little bit of this, a whole bunch of this and then a little sprinkling of this. And you're you don't understand it at all. But it's amazing. Deal with it. And that's what makes them timeless at the end of the day. Right. Because it's they're everything and everything's thrown in there. Yeah. Yeah. and a lot of credit to the, to George Martin and the engineers too for for helping them fully realize those ideas in such a short amount of time as we were talking about earlier, like yeah. cramming deadlines, right? Like the day I mean, before the record's got to be done. Goodness gracious! It's amazing stuff. Where does so this good. Where does this sit for you? How are you feeling on this one? Uh, you know, I'm actually pretty surprised that this is as low as it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very monkeys to me. Like I'm yeah. a believer. <laughs> yep. How funny! That's yep. so true. I never thought yeah. about that. Yeah, yeah, like this one is like super monkeys. Like so. So much so that like the um the last line of the verses when he's like you're not the same that sounds like mickey dolan's to me <laughs> Funny. Yeah. like the you know, just that, that one not... spot of his yeah. and that that makes me wonder if like when they were writing for the monkeys you know like were they they were definitely inspired by the beatles you for know sure, so, for sure. <laughs> um, but that's interesting that's i i can't argue that you're totally right about that yeah. that's really <laughs> yeah, yeah. i'm just like oh Okay, this is odd that it's so low. That's because you were a massive. Uh, I don't know if anyone knows. Jonathan's a massive monkeys <laughs> this fan. Is true. He this might is have true. mentioned it I once love or twice. Monkeys. <laughs> yep. um, can we go back to the uh, tambourine, which is also an overdub? I mm-hmm. believe you well, can kind of tell. So what I've read is that it. So I've read a couple things. One is that it's on the rhythm track, 
like on like the basic like full band like basic track. Uh, but George was playing it, but then they never like did any overdubs to fix it. Cause like there's some weird suspect things happening. Like at one point it sounds well, well, like, maybe that's what I'm hearing. Cause like it, it sticks out yeah. sort of, it, I think if I remember correctly, there's times where you go, well, that's a really loud timbre. <laughs> <laughs> Which is also a monkey's uh, point. Cause sometimes yeah. the timbre sure, is so yeah. loud on those records. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Davy then... Jones, hip tambourine going. <laughs> yep. <laughs> And then I want to throw in the uh, the awesome John Lennon low harmony that only happens on one line of each verse. Ooh, where you is don't different, but you, you have. have yep. Yeah, yeah. Or, it, it, sometimes, okay. So the Steve Earle version, they, the low guy goes up, or no, Steve Earle's singing low, so they do a high harmony over him, and he goes, "You have changed," or something mm-hmm. like that. They do oh, fine. Um, but then the the Lennon version, he does stay sort of flat. You don't look different, but you have changed. Something like that. That's like the melody. But um, yeah, I it's it goes back to that thing earlier that we were talking about of like um, it almost sounds like those two the the parts were written together. Yeah, like like Paul might have even changed the melody to fit to make sure that there's a cool harmony line. There yeah, yeah, you I can know? see that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I don't know what happened there, but like, it's just another one of those moments where it's a little magical Lennon and McCartney Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) thing that happens, uh, you know, and it's, and it's, and it's interesting because it's, I think that's the only line that it happens on in the song, right? Yeah. Time around. Mm -hmm. Are there harmonies in the why? Tell me why there's not, are there? It's just doubled. Yeah. I think that's it. Yes. It's doubled. Yep. Yeah. You know, one thing you get, you, the two of y'all made me think about when you were talking about the idea of like, not knowing the rules. And then Mark, you were talking about the idea of like, you know, learning songs with your neighborhood friends and things like that. And it made me think, you know, Paul's one of those guys who he's left-handed, but if you give him a right-handed guitar, he can still play it, which is mind boggling to me. Um, So it makes me wonder, you know, does having that ability to like see how to get from A to Z and all these weird ways that no one thinks about like when you learn the guitar and you, or you learn piano and you know, like kind of where things live on the neck, if you're learning that from the opposite brain perspective, but that guitar is upside down, you're learning it in a completely different way than like two right-handed guitar players are going to learn it. So like notes appear in a different format. If you know, that's freaky. Okay. (laughs) So did you ever learn mandolin? No, I've always wanted to though. Okay, so it's not flipping it over from left-handed to right-handed, but it is taking the bottom four strings of the guitar, Mm -hmm. which are E, A, D, G, and then flipping those over, but you're still this way. You're still, you're not, you're not flipping this way. So, but now you're D, I'm sorry, G, D, A, E. Uh So it is those four strings on the guitar just flipped upside down. Yeah. Or, or the four strings of the bass. It's it's a bass flip, flipped over. Right. So I learned mandolin. That was the mentality I had to have of, okay, I already know all these chords and scales from the bass and from the guitar, but I just have to do them upside down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I call it doing the math. You, know, you have to just do the math. And over the years, the more you do it, and the more you look at it and see and think about what you know already and just flip it upside down, you go, Oh my God. Oh, oh wow. Cool. And then somebody shows you something. You're like, of course, you know, right. Right. 
And so then the whole now now I've mastered the mandolin, and a lot of it was from already understanding guitar and bass. Mm-hmm. And so yes, to your point, like and but the fact that he can flip it over and play it opposite handed, that's come on, dude, bonkers, that's, man. That's, that's when you're wild. just Michael Jordan, you know. You just <laughs> <stuck> <laughs> like, come on, come on, Paul. Right, Sir Paul. Just making us doing? all look bad now. Does yeah. Ringo isn't he like left handed and plays his kit? He's like a, a left handed drummer and he plays like a right handed drummer. Yeah. Oh, that's but cool. I didn't when, know that. So like his thing. What, I knew something. Well done. <laughs> so was he like? Instead of being cross stick, was he like? No, he's cross stick. But when he goes to start his fill, he always leads with the left hand. I think is that how? No, he leads with he leads with his. Uh, you're trying, supposed to lead with your right. If yeah, you're doing this, he leads with he his left, left. So like, it's always hey, it, as long as you can. That's probably why his fills are so different. That's cool. exactly why he says his fills, oh, his fills are so cool because it's I easier for that. him like to start on the floor tom. Than to and work his way around, right. than to start on the rack tom and work his way to the to the right. So it's totally weird, and it it's what gives him that weird perspective on it. Man, I'm glad you told me that. I never yeah. knew that, and and now it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, because I am actually left-handed. Are you really? Oh wow! But yes, but the person who was teaching me guitar, and I picked it up lefty, mm-hmm. and the person who was teaching me was like, "No, you got to flip it over." I don't know how to teach you that. Like a lefty. Oh yeah. no! So, so I just went ahead and learned c chord right-handed and then kept going from there yeah so who knows i could have been a virtuoso guitar player <laughs> could have been a musical we'll savant, man <laughs> we'll never know um, it's like flip but, it over a left-handed guitar costs 300 dollars more just flip it over and learn it this way now <laughs> but yeah man that's crazy yeah so so 167 you said you'd have it top 30 maybe maybe top 30 top 50 somewhere in there yeah okay yeah. okay I, re- I really love it. And, and, you know, when, when I listen, okay, I, I consider that rubber soul revolver era back to those back-to-back records, that sort of pivotal era where they were, where you can really hear the transformation from young to mature, you know? Mm-hmm, sure. And, and so I always, I don't lump those two albums together from the standpoint of like, they sound alike or anything like that, but I lump them together era wise. Yeah. And, and so I'm looking through you probably sticks out as one of the top, you know, five, six tracks of those two albums to me. And I think it's probably because of the, it, it's bluegrass leaning or like bluegrass isn't the right word, but that sort of acoustic folk Americana leaning, you could tell he was inspired by. It. And so it makes the track stand out from everything else. Yeah. Around it. I can see um, that. So I, I think that's part of the reason that it sticks out to me from that era as one of the great tracks. And then of course that melody. Mm-hmm. And all the other little things we talk about. But, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, and then being partial to do to to it from having you know doing my own version of it, yeah. the, the one I ripped off from Steve Earle, <laughs> that, that keeps it way high up on the list. Too, for so. sure, for sure. But I highly I highly recommend finding the Steve Earle version. Is it. is there a recorded yeah. version of your version out there? No, never oh, have recorded. Wow. I just do it at like acoustic shows. But, you know, okay, just okay. once I'll pull out every now and then. You know. We'll have, do, but... we'll have to cut it when we come up to Charleston. There you Perfect. go. <laughs> Perfect thing to do. Yes. Where do you put this? And really? then you, you pick one. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. What? That's a hard... How are we do... Are we doing acoustic? Or are we just... Do... Are we well, full-on rock Paul. band, man? You're with me and Paul, and the three of us... Between the three of us, we can make anything happen, so... Man, if you put me with three singers, I'm probably going to either do... Like this boy or yes, it is one of those like three part harmony things. 
I heard your all's version of this boy. Oh, you were the Cowmouth version? Cowboy yeah, Mouth. man. And either you posted it or when you did one with Griff, it was on there mm -hmm. or something like yep. that. Yeah. And it is so good. Man. Oh, my God. It's so good. <laughs> Thank you, man. No, that was something. So anyway, you don't need another version of that. We would do something else. For sure. It was so fun because, like, you know, when I joined that band, it was like the instant connection was like, you know, I mean, I already knew Fred, but like with Griff and getting to know him, it was like, well, are you into the Beatles? Of course I'm into the fucking Beatles. So like, yeah, and like, I think it was something that, you know, Paul has said as much, like when you tour and you meet other bands and you're like surrounded by all these other musicians all the time, it's always like a common language. Like conversation can always go back to the Beatles. Like it's like a fail safe of converse, a fail safe for conversation. Okay. So great example of that. We're out on tour with Hootie and we have Peter Olsapple as our utility man. And we and Don Dixon is the opening act, mm -hmm. and Marty Jones, his wife, is with him, and um, Jamie Hoover, um, who's the guitar player from the Sponge Tones, but was playing with Dixon on this tour, and is an absolute Beatles freak fanatic. So we're all backstage after the show in the in the dressing rooms, just having drinks, and it's after the, all the fans are gone, and it's just the just the Hootie guys and the, and Don Dixon and. Hoover and Holzapple. And oh, and Susan Cowsill was there because oh. she was married to Peter Holzapple, and so she was with her honey on the road. Mm -hmm. So we just started, we were all backstage picking and grinning and everything. And it wasn't like, what are you going to play? We just all started playing Beatles songs, taking turns. <laughs> and those bastards knew every, 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 every <laughs> little nook and cranny of every Beatles. It was so cool. And we, stayed up for hours just trading Beatles songs but then I would play one that they were like oh we never played that one before you know like, <laughs> so like we had so much fun and like you said it was it was the universal language of the evening yeah, uh, yeah. and it lasted for hours and oh, it was unspoken so yeah it was unspoken and it was just so freaking cool I'll never forget it yeah and I've had that same experience a couple other times too yeah we we actually spent probably the better part of two months maybe more learning uh, golden slumbers carry that weight at the end, like that whole medley. Fun. I mean, it was like every sound check, we would just learn a couple more measures and just keep tightening yeah. it and tighten it. And then we did it at the nine 30 club for an encore. And Mark, when I tell you it's my favorite moment of being in that band was doing those like six minutes wow, of music. Awesome. It was awesome. like fucking triumphant and we played it perfect. It was great. And that was the only time we ever did. It. And then did <laughs> we you never did it again. We did not did do Her Majesty. No. We never did Her Majesty. Wait, I thought you did it at Jazz Fest one time. No, no, no. We you only did it that one time, yeah. I swear I wow. saw you play. No, nope. you had to have no, done it. I'm telling you, really? one time. How yeah. cool, though. It was great. Wow, it was super fun. And, like, yeah. it may not have been, like, the barn burner that, like, you would naturally want to end, like, a big rock show with. But, like, the people that knew it were, like, jaws on the floor. Like, holy fuck, they just did that. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, let's, uh, before we let you go, can we do a couple rapid fire questions? Wait, you didn't ask me where yeah. I oh, put this on. I'm Come sorry, on, Julia. man. My bad, baby. Where would you put this on? How are you feeling on this? I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I would actually move it up a little bit. Um, I really like this song and I actually enjoy the fact that it's not perfect. Like yeah. from, you know, Mr. Perfection Paul, mm -hmm. like he's very concerned about things being polished and well yeah. done for for like a little bit of imperfections, which don't really bother me that much because I don't I don't listen with the musician's ear like y'all do. Sure. I, I kind of like enjoy those little bits of like 
not pristine. Um, it reminds me that they're human. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I think I'm moving up a bit. Are you still in the 100s or are you moving past the 100s? Uh, I think I'm still in the 100s. Okay. okay. But, but I think I'd probably move it up a bit. We'll see where it lands in my ranking. Okay. Yeah, I'd be <laughs> interested to see where it lands in your rankings. And I'd be interested to see where it lands in mine. I, yeah, As I told you earlier, it's hard to have some perspectives. That's why I threw out yeah. like 50 or maybe 30, but I just don't have any yeah. perspective where it would land for me. Because when you but sit down and look at the list, you're like, oh, God, there's so many good ones. <laughs> I know. But then know. we always have like these personal connections to the songs that mm-hmm. some people are like, that's not really a great song. And you're like, no, it's fucking amazing. And let me tell you why. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because you have this like it reminds you of a point in your life or a person or, you know, it's one of those songs that you played with Susan Castle and all your yeah. friends yeah. or it's on a mix CD that your now husband gave you when you first started dating. You know, it's like we all right, have right. these personal little things that take us back That's to right. somewhere yeah. that make us love it so much more. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, for sure. It's all opinions, man. Yeah. Man. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, let's do some rapid fires before we let you go. Sure. Is that cool? All right. Cool. Yeah. All right. Your favorite Beatles song. And it can be of all time. It can be today. However, you want to answer um, it. I, it's it's so funny you say that because we just now if i fell popped into my head um for two reasons one greatest harmonies of all time two um it has an intro that is unique Mm -hmm. it's it's unique and it's a it's just uniquely an an intro it never happens again in the song they never go back to it it's like it only happens at the top and then it goes away and that is a lost art in songwriting yeah and and so um it sticks out that's so funny yeah. you mentioned that one because that's one of the songs that he put on a mix CD yep. when we started dating. <laughs> like that's that's one of my great. like tops. Like, uh, it's so good. Great, greatest harmonies of all time. I'm, I'm with. That, that, I think that's one of the ones where like that may have been a song that made me like fall in love with the idea of harmony and just like hearing yeah. that, like watching the Hard Days Night as a child and being like, "Fuck, that's incredible." <laughs> it's like I, I I thought the Everly Brothers were the greatest of all time until I heard that, mm-hmm. and then I was like, "Whoop." That's just that's a whole nother level. <laughs> that is a whole nother level. What the hell are they doing? Right. Uh, yeah. What's your least favorite Beatles song? Oh God! What a great question. What a great question. Um, it's probably one of the ones deep in the White Album. I start. I when I go all the way through the White Album, it loses me here and there. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I can't even, I don't even know what track name, like it's like Piggies or somewhere in there. I, I, I can't, it's somewhere in the White Album I get a little lost. Sure. And I won't, I won't, I won't even name a track, but like they lose me. Sure, sure. They lose me. For There's a, a lot that's of the only time in, That's the only time in the whole, you know, breadth of their material that they, they lose me. But they, they do lose me a little bit sometimes in, in the White Album. Okay. Yeah, like, like Savoy Truffle's a really cool song, and I like it. I couldn't, wouldn't say I hate it, but it's definitely not one of my favorites. Right. You know what I mean? <laughs> sure. Some, somewhere in the White Album, I get lost. Fair enough. Um, yeah. Favorite Beatles album? Uh, it was Abbey Road for a long time, and then it was Revolver for a long time, and then it was Let It Be for a while, and uh, um, if I had to pick one. The 62 to 66 red frame greatest hits. You, <laughs> you cannot go wrong just, with I'm that, just, man. I'm just bringing the conversation. <laughs> yes. 
You cannot go wrong with that. But it's like your introduction. It's like it's totally valid answer. Yeah. It's, it sits there in your sweet spot. For sure. Who is your favorite Beatle? Man, um, it was it was John for a long, long time when I was young, uh, and then when I once I got once I became a, a musician that understood the the just depth of what McCartney was doing, it, it, I, he kind of took over, and then now it's just like this. It's all there is is Lennon and McCartney. There's not a favorite, you know. This yeah. is Lennon and McCartney, and they proved their genius by what they did after they stopped doing it together. I mean, all you got to do is listen to listen to like Imagine and then Band on the Run, and like mm-hmm. now you know what the Beatles would have sounded like if they had stayed together. You know, so it's like it's it's just Lennon and McCartney. It's I, I, there isn't one. Yeah. It's, it's those those two. Um, and what they did and it's not just what they did together but and and it's the way they pushed each other mm-hmm. so we would have never gotten to imagine if john wasn't trying to keep up with paul for 10 years yeah. and then somehow imagine popped out at the end of all that right like so paul gets indirect credit for imagine and by the same token you know john, whatever john was doing that kept i think i think john kept an energy level in his music that stop Paul from getting too soft and too, too quiet. He wanted to keep rocking, too. Mm-hmm. And so I think John pushed Paul. And so that, that little pushing that they did back and forth um, indirectly it, it is what made the whole thing so next level and so great. For and sure. So I can't, I can't separate it anymore. I like I it. Could, I could when I was younger, but I can't anymore. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Um, last one, your favorite memory associated with the Beatles. And it can be, you know, Anything from like the first time you heard a Beatles song, or like if when you saw Paul in concert, or you like made out with someone to a Beatles song, or <laughs> your kid sang a Beatles song, you know? Um, no, I have a really good one actually. Okay, so let's so see, somewhere back in like the 80s or 90s, um, late 80s or early 90s, or something like that, <clears throat> you hadn't heard much from McCartney in a while, and he might have done a solo album or whatever, but you hadn't just what kind of off the map the beatles were off the map and the, and the, all of a sudden there was this big show in london the hammerstein or something and it was or something bigger it might have been royal albert hall it was at royal albert hall probably and it it had like clapton and it had phil collins and elton john and just like all the big guns and they were and mark knopfler and they're all taking turns doing songs it's probably like concert for some benefit thing i don't i don't even remember what the benefit you you might remember this once i tell you and then at the end they're all on stage together sting all those people i just named plus like sting like i mean they're just the baddest asses of all <laughs> and then after all of them and doing all of their own songs and then after all that mccarty comes out and they do the thing you were just talking about golden slumbers mm-hmm. uh carry that way at the end yeah yeah i know i've seen this and and McCartney's on piano, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Yeah. On this one. But it's Phil Collins on drums. It's right. Eric Clapton on guitar. It's Sting on bass. It's incredible, yep. dude. And I, like, I don't know. I lost my mind to that, like, when I was young, you know, like that. Because the production on it was so big. And also, I had never heard anybody pull those songs off live before. But mm-hmm. of course, that band could do it. You right. Know? <laughs> so I, that was a magical moment for me. Just, uh, it, it helped me rediscover 
it, it was a long time ago and it, and it helped me like rediscover how great everyone thinks they are. The fact that all those people made it their last track and were, they were probably just as excited about it as I was. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it just had, it just was incredibly special. Yeah. 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 Do you think people that big are like, I get to play a Beatles song with a Beatle? Like, yeah. And, they and have I mean, to it be. Wasn't, we hadn't, the public hadn't heard a lot of versions of, of Beatles songs by people on that caliber. This wasn't happening yet. Yeah. It was still too early or whatever, still too soon, you know? Mm. So that was just a really big one. Yeah. And, and it struck me hard. I love it. That's fantastic. Well, Mark, Midlife Priceless is out now. Uh, what's, it is. What's the, uh, what's, how can people get it? What's the best way to get that record and to hear it? I mean, you know, just your choice of, of, uh, of how you listen now, whether it's Spotify or Apple Music, or um, you can order the CD or vinyl um, through my website, through markbryanmusic.com, or from Amazon or whatever. I mean, you, it's, it's just out there, baby. Mm-hmm. And uh, as things start to kind of open up again a little bit, are you planning on going out on the road with it? Like, do you have any any ideas for that? No, a lot I, of shows with no it? I'm not. I'm, I'm, it's funny, Jonathan. Like, I, I'm not. I, I feel like if I were to go out and try to do a bunch of shows right now, I'd be forcing it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's I, I'm not a household name, really. Like the, the the Hootie tour was so successful, obviously, and that was great. And I'm just not going to go out and start hammering the road again, trying to make people show up to who's this guy again, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's more about putting the music out and trying to do the best I can with the release to create a little buzz about it. And then if there's a demand for some plays, of course I would go play. Yeah. You know how much I love to play, Oh yeah. but, but I just don't want to go out and force it. So right now I'm doing a big show at the Windjammer June 18th. Nice. And, and then nice. I'm going to book, I'm going to try to book a show up in the Maryland DC area where I'm from. Mm-hmm. And um, maybe in the fall. Fun. And so those are two plays that make a lot of sense. Yeah. Will be a lot of fun. And then if I can anchor off of that date up north, maybe I will. But again, not I'm not into forcing anything right now. It's it just makes more sense for me to like release the music and have fun doing that mm-hmm. instead of trying to like just knock out all these like deals and it's a guarantee versus and how many people are going to show up. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Are we going to take a van? Am I going to? How am we going to get there? All yeah. that, you know, it's just not there. I'm not there right now. And it's, but if, if if there's a demand, I'll figure out a way. Sure. <laughs> and it's an it's an you're in a unique, I think, position to not have to go out and like slog am, it yeah, like I that, mean, which is really nice. I'm an old guy now who's already done all that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. So um, so what, and, and I'm still hungry. I'm honestly still hungry enough to go do that. Mm-hmm. Like I would still I still have the energy to go do it. It just feels, it doesn't feel smart sure. to go out and force it. You know what I mean? So I, I think I had that mentality for a long time. I like where I just always said yes, because mm-hmm. it was about have, playing and having fun. Was ne- I never worried about the money and I'm still not worried about make, making money doing it. Although you have to make enough to make it worth going out the door with all right. that gear and, and paying musicians and hotels. So you have to worry about it somewhat. Um, and so, and I'm just trying to be smarter about it. That's yeah. all. You know. and that's the benefit of, uh, of of age, man. That's the benefit. The hindsight of having done all of it is just going. Yeah, it's not smart. I love that. <laughs> right. I love yeah, that. yeah. I mean, if, if it feels forced, then it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so uh, maybe some uh, some new music in the fall. You were saying. Oh yeah, yeah. There's always going to be new music. I, that's one thing for sure. When I, when I we took our last big break with Hootie and I started. Uh, teaching music industry at the college of charleston i did it for like 10 years mm-hmm. and i did i did make one album during that period um but 
it took me away from the creative side a little bit. And maybe I needed the break at that time. Sure. And it was a very worthwhile thing to do. But after that 10 year run of teaching and we and we went back and did the Hootie Project, I got the bug again. Yeah. I was like, you know, I was like, man, this is definitely what I need. No offense to teaching, but like this is what I'm saying. <laughs> but rock and roll is way more fun. <laughs> it's just—it's not just more fun; it's more purpose-driven for me. It's like yeah. it, it feels like what I should be doing. Not—not not that I, you know, teaching didn't feel like that too. I definitely made a difference doing it. It felt right, but um, it didn't feel as strong like you know, making music does. I feel very sure. strongly it's my purpose, you know. For sure. And are, are there uh, any plans for for Hootie in the future? Or are y'all just kind of waiting to see what happens? And like, yeah, we did the for, we, like, same thing. You don't have to force anything, which is great. Right. We did the, we kind of left it where like, Hey, the, everybody's in the next time it makes sense to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it could be three years, could be five years, but we, everybody had a blast doing the tour and doing the album and we're still best buddies. And, you know, so just whenever the time is right, we'll definitely do it again, but not, it's not going to be anytime soon. We're not going to force it or rush it. For sure. Fantastic. Well, Mark, it's been an absolute pleasure catching up, man. Thank you so much. Right back at you. Where uh, where can our uh, our listeners find you on social media? Best places to follow you? Uh, Mark Bryan Music on Instagram. Okay. And um, just Mark Bryan on Facebook. And I got uh, those are the best best spots probably to pick up what's going on. I got a bunch of videos on YouTube. It's Mark Bryan Hootie on YouTube. Okay. And you can it's just some, there's a whole bunch of content on there that's fun to watch. So excellent. Uh, that's what, excuse me, the best spots and then. Spotify page. Beautiful, you know. beautiful, beautiful. Excellent, man. Well, thanks so much. This has been an absolute blast, man. It's great to catch up with you. I really appreciate it you. It sure doing has, John. Yeah, it sure has. And uh, I, I hope that you can make the road trip to uh, to Charleston when the time comes. It'll be fun. I would absolutely. I, I'm, for seriously, I would love to do that. That would be a blast. Right, so you're bye. gonna like text Paul as soon as oh, we yeah. get off this call and be like, Paul, when you going? Paul, Paul when count you going? me in, bro. <laughs> <laughs> all right, man. Well, go enjoy your dinner. I'll talk to you soon. All right. All right, y'all. Thanks so Good much, man. You. Really enjoyed it. Thanks, man. Good to see you. Talk to you soon, Bye. bro. Later. Adios. Mark Bryan, everybody. What a blast. How about that? Oh, it was so nice to like for you guys to catch up. That's it really was, sweet. It was, man. You know, I was I was thinking earlier, somebody was talking recently about like missed opportunities um in musical careers. Uh, you know, and not necessarily like career changing opportunities, but just like that would have been so cool to do that. Um the first time I met Mark, uh I had been in Cowboy Mouth for maybe three or four months, and we were playing some festival, I think, in, I want to say it was in Iowa, maybe? Mm. That seems correct. Um, they were headlining. I think we were playing before them. And so I'd only been in the band for a couple months, so the singer and I, the singer was like, you should come meet the Hootie guys. So we went went over there, went on the bus, and uh, it was Mark and Darius. And, I mean, the ni- as nice as the day is long, obviously you can tell Mark is super cool and down to earth. Everybody in the band was the exact same way. Darius was as friendly as could be. Um, so the four of us are just sitting on the bus and chatting and chewing the shit. And they're asking, you know, what's up, new guy? How are you liking the gig? How's, hey, noob. How, how's the work? Uh, <laughs> so it's super cool. So we're just hanging and talking. And they've got their set list printed on the wall, uh, you know, taped up on the wall for the show that day. And I'm just looking at it because also, like, growing up as a child of the 90s, like, loved Hootie. Like you have historically been a massive Hootie fan. I will stand for Hootie. Like yeah. I'm there, man. Yeah. Those, especially those first three records, like as a growing human, like those records are f- phenomenal, like huge parts of my musical DNA. Um, 
So I was looking at the set list. I was like, oh, man, they're playing so much good stuff. I love this. And then I noticed towards the end in their encore, Champagne Supernova. Mm. And I'm like, yo, guys, is that Champagne Supernova like by Oasis? Like there's another Champagne Supernova? <laughs> I'm like, y'all doing the Oasis tune? Yeah. I'm like, man, I love this idea. I love Oasis. I love y'all. This is going to be incredible. And they're like, dude, why don't you come play guitar on it? So shut the fuck up. I'm so excited, right? I'm going to go play guitar on Champagne Supernova by Oasis with Hooting the Blowfish. I am fucking squeen, as you would say. Like, yes. I, inside, I am like, oh, my God, it's going to be so cool. So we go and we play our set. It's a really good set. Like, we have a really good show. Noticing while we play ominous clouds oh, no. off in the distance. I hate where this is going. Yeah. And so as we get towards the end of our set, it's getting real windy. <gasps> And you're like, oh, no. Clouds are getting closer and darker. And so we finish the set. We get out of there. Go change clothes. And uh, Hootie starts their set. It's maybe three or four songs in. And the skies just open up. And the rains just start to pour. No. And it's not just like a light drizzle. A sprinkle. It's here's a deluge of water no which is very bad when you have electronics yes that will end most shows yeah so they run off stage show's done like (sighs) that's it this is the last show they do before they go on to a 10-year hiatus (laughs) so the opportunity never arose again to do that so that is my missed opportunity that is a big getting to play champagne supernova with Hootie. yeah that's brutal. I, uh, yeah. I'm sorry. I One wanna, day I want to hug happen. you right oh, now. Thank you. That's, I appreciate that. That's, well, I'll hug you when we're done because I don't want to hit my microphone Aww, and make a big you. noise. I appreciate that. I'm sure our listeners appreciate that. <laughs> but um, yeah. So what do you think about I'm looking through you at number 167? Am I too hot? Am I too cold? Or as I always like to say, just like Julia Priedis' porridge, am I just <laughs> right? Um, let us know what you think in the comments on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Do yourselves a favor. Mark's new album, Midlife Priceless, is super duper fun. It is a like legit rock and roll album. I highly recommend giving it a spin, and uh, you, you can thank us later once you do that. Um, and uh, so let us know what you think. Uh, if you're not following us on the socials, Julia, where can they find us on Facebook? Ranking the Beatles. Where can they find us on the Twitters? Ranking Beatles. And where can they find us on the IG? At Ranking the Beatles. That's correct. Um, and, uh, if you're able to feel free to leave a, uh, a review on your podcast provider of choice, but only if it's like five stars, preferably please. five. Yeah. We like don't give fives. us a one star review. That's just me. Yeah, that's just me. Just, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything. Yeah. It's the golden rule. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, right. Isn't it? That is the golden rule. Is that it? No. Oh, it's, it's not. Do unto it? others. Oh, I think. Well, you have done to you. Same. Do you want a one star review? I'll give you a one star review. <laughs> savage sorry that was a little threatening (laughs) well (laughs) this has been a whole lot of fun episode 50 it's a good one i'm proud of us man really proud of us i honestly kind of didn't see this going that far (gasps) really part of me was like well i know my track record i'm gonna be all gung-ho about this for like two months and then be like god never mind but i'm in man i'm having fun having a good time good yeah so friends we hope you're enjoying it too Um, We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. So until then, take good care of yourselves. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Julia. And this is Ranking the Beatles. 
Adios. Bye, y'all.